This is Mona Tanja, president of NCSM, and welcome to Learning with Leaders, the Bold Mathematics Leadership Series. Join me as I sit down and have conversations with emerging and established leaders exploring equity in action. You will hear from bold mathematics leaders as they share their experiences and actions and what they have learned from them. We think these next few minutes will help you consider the bold actions that you can take to focus on equity and support those that you serve. Grab a warm cup of coffee and a journal as we learn together on our mathematics leadership journey. Hello, and welcome to the NCSM podcast, Learning with Leaders. John Sangiovanni and I are the co-hosts for the Bold Mathematics Leadership Series. For the spring podcast, we've invited the featured speakers that are presenting at the NCSM Leadership Summit to sit down with us and discuss what equity means to them and provide us a quick preview of the new learning that we will experience in April. We have two special guests today, Elham Kazimi and Tracy Zager. Elham Kazimi is a professor of mathematics education at the University of Washington, working alongside teachers and school leaders to learn with and from students in our pursuit of creating just and equitable schools is a critical dimension of her work. It's fundamentally important to her that children are known, seen, and heard, that they feel they can bring themselves into schools which means that schools need to be joyful and intellectually vibrant places where both teachers and children thrive. Tracy Zager works as a district math consultant, editor, and author of Becoming the Math Teacher You Wish You'd Had, Ideas and Strategies from Vibrant Classrooms. She is passionate about mathematical identity and wants all teachers and students to see themselves as mathematical thinkers, especially those who have been told by society that math wasn't for them. When coaching, Tracy works to engineer surprise and delight so teachers realize their students are brilliant, get hooked on listening to kids' mathematical ideas, and let that curiosity about both math and their students drive their teaching and learning. Elham and Tracy's session at the Bold Leadership Summit in April is titled Harnessing Collective Will, Learning Together But Not in the Usual Ways, and they will be exploring the Empower Guiding Principle today from the NCSM Framework for Leadership in Mathematics Education that was released last April. So welcome, Tracy and Elham. Thank you. You're Thanks for having us. Of course. So I'll start. Um, I, um, I'm Elham Kazami, and as a faculty member at the University of Washington, where I work, in Seattle, where I live, I want to just take a moment to acknowledge the Coast Salish peoples of this land, um, where I am a guest and work and live. Uh, the land which touches the shared waters of all tribes and bands within the Suquamish, Tulalip, and Muckleshoot nations. Um, I just want to acknowledge the efforts by our local tribes here to protect and serve their communities during the pandemic, which have been particularly hard hit. Uh, the Duwamish tribe um, continues, for example, to seek federal recognition, and you can learn about their efforts at realrentduwamish.org. Um, and I want to say I'm making this land acknowledgement because it's just a very small way to help us be continually aware that we have to learn as much as we can about local treaties, um, our local tribal nations, and the practices that they are pursuing so that we can work to be in good relation with them um, and support indigenous sovereignty and resurgence. Thank you. And I, this is Tracy, I am speaking today from the lands and waters of Portland, Maine. Um, this is land that I love, but it is not mine. This is the land of the Wabanaki or people of the Dawnland. Um, the Wabanaki includes the um, Malisi, the Mi'kmaq, the Passamaquoddy and the Penobscot indi indigenous nations. 
who have lived on this land for at least 13,000 years and continue to live on this land today. Um, I wanted to express my support for Wabanaki self-determination through truth-telling, restorative justice, and reparations, um, including through the recently formed Wabanaki Alliance. It just formed in June of 2020 um, as an effort to uh, secure sovereignty, which was actually stripped away from the indigenous nations in Maine in 1980, um, really recently. Um, in, in a, and, and so part of why I do a land acknowledgement is to, as, um, to continue to learn. So I was reading more today, digging down deeper into this um, each time I think about land acknowledgements. Um, so if you would like to learn more about that particular law, it's the Maine Indian Claim Settlement Act. Um, there's information at the wabanakialliance.com. Um, about their efforts to get the level of sovereignty that other Indian nations have in the rest of the country, which Maine um, does not. So um, thank you for the time to, to be able to acknowledge. You're welcome. Thank you for sharing. What a great way for us to continue our learning, which ties directly to the name of your session, right, <laughs> around how you want to really support that continual learning. So my, my first question I want to start with is, first of all, how, you know, we've got somebody from Maine and somebody from Washington. So how do you guys know each other and how have you learned together over the years as you guys have worked together? Yes, we have a, a long history together and, um, and it's important to um, our continued um, friendship and colleagueship and that not many people may know, but I have been a professor at the University of Washington for 21 years. And when I first, it's the only place that I've worked as a faculty member since I um, got my PhD working with Megan Frankie at UCLA. And I think in one of my very first early years, Tracy will remember the year exactly, Tracy was a student in my math methods class in the elementary teacher education program. I remember on the very first day, Elham said something about how it was her privilege to introduce us to the world of young children and their ideas about mathematics. And I was a little bit like, what is she talking about? Because she said it will change your life. And then it did, right? I have never looked back. So um, I am super grateful for my continued relationship with Elham because um, she, she is the person, I think we all have a person who helped us enter this who inspired us to dig deeper into like, why would it be so interesting to think about math? And, um, and why is it, you know, the place that students feel most acutely, um, whether they're smart or capable or not, and there are all these equity issues. And so she was my, my gateway drug to math education. <laughs> um, <laughs> and we've stayed in touch over the years and continued to put our heads together around our respective work in our two states at opposite ends of the country. Um, I used to live in Seattle, but I don't anymore. Oh, okay. the, on the pros and cons list, uh, moving away from Elham was a major con. So I'm grateful to the internet for making it so we can work <laughs> together now. <laughs> well, what's funny is when we think about um, who is a student and who is a teacher, uh, <laughs> the great thing about the work we've done over the years is that uh, you don't stay in one role or the other. And what's great about learning together is that student becomes teacher and teacher becomes student. And that's what helps you continue to learn and grow. So Tracy has um, taught me probably as much as I ever uh, introduced to her. And that that is, I think, maybe the fundamental takeaway from any of the work that we do together that to, to learn together means that you are at the same time, both student and teacher. 
always. Yeah, so um, I, I have to say, <laughs> a gateway drug to a math leader. I, I'm going to probably use that at some point, Tracy. <laughs> I didn't expect that uh, this evening. Um, it's great. Can you um, talk talk a little bit about your work together over the years? Um, tell us more about your your continued partnerships, and um, you know, can you talk about your your district partnership? So I was a math coach in a school in New Hampshire um, for several years. And while I was coaching at that time, um, I was going to NCTM and NCSM conferences. And I got to see that this is where we would get to connect. Remember the old days when we would go to conferences and connect and drink a, an adult beverage and talk about our work? And I miss those so, days. <laughs> yeah, so I, there was one year when um, throughout the week, Elham and her colleagues were presenting multiple times about this partnership work they were doing in a Seattle area district. Um, so she was presenting with Teresa Lind, who was the coach, and she was um, presenting with some of her graduate students and other professional colleagues and teachers and talking about principals. And I was just fascinated by the way they were thinking about systems and structures that, that could cause real change, not just you know one teacher at a time coaching, but which totally matters, but um, really trying to lift a whole school or a whole district. And so I was working just in one school, and I but I was so fascinated by the work she was doing. And then I switched to working at the district level. So the very first thing I did was call Elham and say, "How do I do this? How do I?" Is, is it possible to, to do at the district level what I was trying to do at the school level when it's just me at first in this work, I don't have your grad students, you know, how can I learn from what you did and apply it in a totally different district, much smaller district, um, but it, you, also as complicated as the district Elham was working in. And so we started having these talks on the phone around what should I be thinking about? How, you know, help me think this through. And I, I think what's interesting about our efforts to work with leaders um, is that we understand that, that you can create a really amazing professional development session. And I think that um, from going to conferences and connecting with other people who really take their craft seriously, um, it, it's really possible to make kind of PD that, that that teachers welcome, that they don't write off, you know, that they um, isn't just something that someone's making them do. And yet at the same time, it's really hard to connect good ideas that you learn outside of the classroom to your work with kids. So time and uh, again, that's what I've seen um, be so hard is to um, be excited in conversation with colleagues at a, at a workshop or at a session, but then kind of be left on your own in your classroom with your own kids to make sense of the particularities of that. Um, and so I think now for eight years, I've, I've had the privilege of being in a space where the school leaders and the teachers, even though there's been significant changes, there always is in staffs, have, have really taken it seriously to change teachers' everyday work lives during the school week, during the school day, um, where they get to work in grade level teams in ways that is just not typical in almost any school um, in the US. And it takes a ton of effort and it's very counter normative, but it is the way that learning together allows you to um, develop a, a really coherent educational experience for the kids, because that's ultimately what we want. We don't want just there's a, a great teacher here and a great teacher here who never have a chance to 
collaborate with their staff. We want the kids as they go from school to or from grade level to grade level, from teacher to teacher, to have a really rich, coherent experience of how they are treated as thinkers, how they're treated as people, um, and how they come to rely on their peers as resources in their educational experience. You bring up the idea of sort of the, when you think about professional development itself, right? As a math leader, you're planning professional development or you're providing professional development for it to really make an impact. You have to think systemically. I heard you say the word systems, right? So it can't just be a one and done type of thing. Like, Hey, we're going to bring in somebody to do stuff on number talks. And then it, right. Like, how do you build a system so that there's that continual, which I'm, what I'm hearing you say is that you're having teachers work collaboratively in grade level teams around specific ideas. And so there might be a moment to learn something, but then they apply it and they get feedback from their peers. So it's not just some, an outside expert working with them, right? That's that, that harnessing the collective will piece. So I guess my question is if, if I'm a math coach and I think that's what Tracy was saying, where do I start, right? Like what's the starting point? Cause as, as I mean, math leaders come in all shapes and title roles are different leaders and they have different spheres of influence. So what would be that sort of that starting point when you're thinking about making these changes systemically, you know, where did you start? What, you know, where are you now? Like what, give us the silver bullet. That's what. (laughs) (laughs) There is no silver bullet. That's the answer. Right. And this is exactly the so I'm I'm like four years behind what Alham was describing. I'm in year four in this district, and and um, it's so fascinating to me to look year over year as far as what we are able to do. I'm so proud of where we are, and and part of managing the change is having a, a vision. I definitely have a vision of where I'd like us to end up, um, but you can't do it all at the beginning, and so some of it has to be incremental. Um, and then you also have to be thinking about systems. So for example, in this district, there, there hadn't been a history of math coaching or really any instructional coaching. It's a fairly loosely federated district with a high turnover in central office. So people had kind of retreated into their buildings um, and there was not a lot of collaboration. And so the new administration, um, first of all, they, they wanted to partner and, and we had the very first coffee we ever had. I said, don't hire me for a year. You know, let, let's talk about a minimum of five years or more. If we're going to do this shift, we're not going to start with a curriculum adoption because then everything's about the curriculum, right? We're, all the PD is about where do I find the thing in the curriculum to get the assessments, right? And, and so I so said, we're going to start with teaching and we're going to start with children's mathematical thinking. So what we did is as a district, we read... CGI, children's mathematics, which is my first recommendation always, um, to investigate children's thinking at the same time as we started doing just a few routines. Um, And I knew that that would be disjointed. Teachers were pulling, you know, a number talk here, uh, which one doesn't belong there. Um, Accounting collections we established early, but I chose the, the ambitious routines to give us an incremental place to start to experiment with teaching and learning. So it's pretty overwhelming to say to someone, no, 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 we have to revamp how we're teaching math in this district. But if we start with three times a week for 15 minutes, your job is to listen to children's thinking and understand it and try to represent it. Um, 
and and that's it. We're just going to talk about those 15 minutes. And then within that 15 minutes, it starts to, to shift. If people aren't, they're so used to math teaching as explaining, wait a minute, this feels different. And it starts this cascade of questions of like, well, if I'm going to facilitate that, well, I need to understand the math in the routine. And I need to understand how children think about that math. And I need to be able to facilitate discourse. And I, right. And, and so then we started to build more and more um, positive movement in the teaching. Um, and it was really in year two or three that teachers started to say, my goodness, I'm spending so much time fighting against this very prescriptive curriculum we have. I want it to feel more like those routines do. And so then we started thinking about curriculum. And so, so it's, that's just one example of how there's been this year over year shift. And, um, and we also established um, um, math labs, which I learned about from Elham as far as these grade level team times where you plan a lesson together, you go in a room together and teach it together. And then you come out and debrief together and then you try it in another room to establish this collective um, experience for teachers to learn together. That's awesome. So, I would echo some of the, sorry, yeah. can I say something about starting no, please, point too? Cause please, I think it's please, really please. important. I just want to underscore a couple of things that to me are, are typically not very good productive starting points. One is to start with stuff. Like the goal is to implement X activity or X curriculum. I totally agree with that. Um, the other thing is to start with data and assessments. I also think that's not a very good uh, starting point. I think you have to start, your starting point should be putting yourself in relation to kids differently because in order to learn together, and it doesn't mean hire a coach and have the coach tell teachers what to do. That's not how learning happens. It could be hire someone who can organize working together and experimenting. It could be start with a book that you'll read and mess around with those ideas and play with the ideas, play, listen, sit on the rug with your kids and listen to how they're making sense of ideas and put yourself in a different relation with each other, your colleagues, and with kids in order to learn differently instead of worrying about uh, just like worrying or thinking that there is a silver bullet because there isn't. And I think the leadership in your school, including the principal, because I actually do believe that principals should not just be people who walk through your room quickly or are there just to evaluate you, that they actually have to appreciate what are children experiencing in the classrooms, in their schools, what conversations are taking place, what are we learning from kids, and that that framing should be fundamental to how the school is organized. Because if you've ever tried to lead a discussion with children yourself, you know how incredibly hard it is. You have a vision in your head, it sounds good, but to do it yourself is so complex and so hard, which is why we often start and then we back out and say, no, that's not gonna work for me. My kids can't do that. That's not true. It's just that we're not in there long enough to muck around to get better at it right. before we say, no, this isn't working. So I just wanna underscore that uh, starting with stuff or assessments or data or someone else telling you what to do are not good starting points. Yes. You're really so, speak. Oh, sorry, John. No, please, Tracy, continue. I was thinking you're, you're speaking the culture and, and there a, a big shift is um, making the work of teaching and learning public. Uh, Elham often talks about school as a place where everyone comes to learn, teachers too. Um, and, and so if teachers, if the cult, existing culture is you go in your room and you shut the door and you teach in private, 
um, and you have lunch together with the same people for 17 years, but you've never seen each other teach, we're going to need to figure out how to create a culture where we can share this experience, um, plan lessons together and work out the kinks with each other and then teach publicly with each other. And all of that in, it involves relationships and it also involves systems and structure so that people have time to meet together, which is part of why partnering with leadership is so important. Yeah, Tracy, and I think that's really such an important, and in my work doing something similar, um, how, making sure that our principals are partners in this work, our administrators, and um, Elham, as you were speaking, you really, that really struck a chord with me, um, and um, engaging our principals and knowing the math and knowing what good math looks like, and the other thing that struck a chord is this notion of purpose, and that test scores aren't purpose necessarily, right, or shouldn't be the purpose, and um, it made me start to think about challenges that evolve or, or, or exist. Um, what challenges present themselves as, as you commit to this work and what are things that listeners have to keep in mind? Well, challenges won't go away for sure. So <laughs> you'll have to, each place has its own set of challenges that you have to, I mean, I don't know what kinds of challenges, they, they can be everything from people not believing that their kids are capable, which is, is uh, always a challenge I think you can um, overcome if you start talking to kids, their voices and their experiences and you, and you start to listen genuinely to them uh, goes a long way. I think time and again, teachers have expressed surprise and delight by what they, thought their kids could or couldn't do. Um, and to believe that children want to come to school and love it. And that should be that should be our goal. School should be a place we love rather than a place we endure. Um, and that we just want to get out of the way to do other stuff that really matters. So if we're not, if school doesn't matter, then you know we're in trouble. And I think that should be something that should be paramount to all of us as educators and leaders. Um, and I think that there's all kinds of reasons why um, we say we don't have time. I think time is actually a huge obstacle. And people are, I think part of what draws people into teaching in part is this desire to connect with kids, a desire to be creative. And I think that we need to unleash that creativity to deal with the challenges we face, like time. Um, teachers can figure it out uh, if we let them instead of framing things through compliance and accountability, which I think does not harness human energy um, or the will to, to do something different. Yeah. One thing that we've talked about over the years is, is the systems, because the, the way that the systems are in place um, is designed so that teachers are isolated from one another and don't have that collective time to plan together. I mean, time and schedule comes up so fast every time. Um, and, and also the way our adults are organized within the district, um, I actually just came just before this, I was in a, in a meeting with people in my district who are thinking about math and um, emergent multilingual students. And how many of the people who have the specialized knowledge of language acquisition also come to the math lab or PD or that, right? And like, we're just organized in different ways. And in fact, our group times conflict. You can either go to math or special education or EL or like for PD on early release Wednesdays or something like that, right? So that's just one example of the kind of system that 
Um, it, there are reasons for that system. The, the principals need to know when they can have their whole staff and when they, you know, when PD is differentiated um, along these different working groups. But, um, but those systems, if left in place, contribute to existing inequity and make it difficult to work together. So we're always thinking about how do you challenge those systems or disrupt those systems um, so that we can work together more. And I actually, I just got the feedback back on this conversation we had um, and I, the exit ticket, I asked people, what are, you, what are you thinking about right now? Just as you're leaving after this hour and a half on math and language. And the first response was the value of educators having time to talk and work with one another. That people are just so hungry for that. Right now it's a little hard because we're all zoomed out at the end of the day. But, um, but if we can make time, which means taking something else off their plate, right? I, I mean, one of the huge challenges is I teach five subjects. You've gotta be kidding me. My class size is this big. How many sustained years do you want me to focus on math? Um, so figuring out how, how to remove other stressors so that we can make that time together is a huge part of this work. Yeah, so Tracy, you brought up a thought earlier around the idea of transparency. And when I think about the idea of transparency, especially when it comes to instruction is you know, right now we have systems that are created so that teachers are very isolated from one another. And depending on which teacher I have, that, that, that choice of teacher or however I'm placed in that class is telling, is kind of directing the pathway of my learning, right? So there's no, I mean, bottom line, there's no equity or there could potentially not be equity because of that isolation. So I think you guys have talked about you know, these, these ways of breaking or challenging the systems, what are some of the strategies you use around building up that transparency? Because if I, you know, if I'm struggling with beliefs about students, right, and you're, you've got a team of teachers together, what are some things you've done to kind of pull that in to, to make it so that they can overcome some of those challenges of being transparent? Elham, you want to take that one first? To being transparent with each other around their teaching decisions and what um i think that we sort of need sometimes when you get into a lot of like deficit-based thinking about the kids that you work with um you need experiences that help you see what's possible so um in math and literacy and social studies, there are, I think part of the value of being in a professional network is that people energize you because they are visionary and what they um, want to do in their classroom. So I think one thing is to, to see, is your group of people connected to the outside world that can help you kind of like find some fire and passion around what you are doing with, with in your school and with your kids. And then I think, um, a lot of our professional development models often like put up a model, which is something that I've resisted a lot. Why don't you, Elham, show us how to teach as if I somehow have perfect knowledge? I don't. I'm just willing to roll up my sleeves and try stuff and say, I, I don't really know how to do this, but I'm willing to try. And I think when one of the things that's happened through the, the math labs that we do and other grade level things is we share ownership in trying to teach so that no one is like being watched or evaluated or judged. And um, 
and we've made space for people to ask the, the questions that they want to ask. And that authenticity and that framing is really, I think, begins to invite people to be together differently. I mean, I can't emphasize that enough. You have to like be in relationship differently with your kids and with, with your colleagues um, in order to grow and change. And with your, the families that you serve and the communities you work in. The coaches here, I learned so much from the coaches that I work with. Um, we've been together now for four years. There's been a little bit of turnover, but not much. And we, we are at a place where people have, the coaches have really built their capacity to get teachers to talk to each other about problems of practice, successes. Um, and, and one way we do that is to avoid that kind of outside expert model, but to highlight what's going on within the school and the classroom. So um, it's kind of a regular feature that uh, we'll start a staff meeting with somebody sharing an artifact from their math class and talk about, here's what I hoped would happen. Here's what I anticipated. Here's what I got, you know, help me think this through, or this is what's working for me or not. Um, the middle school coach and I were talking recently about pacing over this year. She's doing this, she has planned this year of PD and she came to realize I'm not building enough, enough time for the teachers to just talk about it. So I, it's not new learning at each PD that she's planning. It's, you know, she introduces something and then take this month to try it out and next month bring an anchor chart or bring a piece of student work and let's talk about it together. How's it going? What are you finding? And um, so that kind of time for teachers to discuss it and for them to realize they're gonna be expected to discuss it, that the professional learning is not a sit and get, it's a, it's a chance to share practice like that. Um, it takes a while and it takes a lot of trust to build that relationship and that culture, but then people start to really look forward to it around, this is a chance to put my heads together, our heads together with my colleagues and, um, and problem solve the things that keep coming up. Like I, my kids aren't talking right now. What should I do about that? And you start to hear teachers talk that way to each other of like, I have this challenge. So instead of trying to hide the challenges of teaching and pretend like it's all smooth from the outside, they're now realizing the best resources they have are each other, the other teachers within the building to brainstorm with and say, I know we can figure this out if we could talk it through together, but here's what's happening. When I try to do a number talk, this is what's happening. What's happening when you do it? You know, Can I come watch in your room or do you wanna come in my room and help me out? That kind of, um, that the in my old school in New Hampshire, I always think about the day I really knew we got it was um, I, the sixth grade teacher was 40 weeks pregnant and she was supposed to go on a field trip and she was told you cannot go on this field trip because what if you go into labor at the salmon run you know, thing that we're doing? It's 40 minutes from the hospital. So she said, I have to stay in the building. Can I, can I hang out with you? And I said, yeah, I'm gonna be in kindergarten. And she went, awesome. Because I know if I go, speaking about that particular teacher, she said, I always learn so much from how she talks with kids. And I went to the kindergarten teacher and I said, is it okay if the sixth grade teacher comes? And she said, oh my God, that would be amazing. I would love to have her eyes on what's going on. And I thought, okay, now we've really built something here because in a typical school, if you tell the kindergarten teacher, the sixth grade teacher is gonna come observe, they have a little bit of a heart attack. Mm -hmm. They feel like, but my math isn't good enough for a sixth grade teacher to watch. All those feelings start to come up. And we, but it took us years to build that kind of culture. And I thought, okay, now I know, I know we've got something.
That is, that is fantastic. Um, speaking of fantastic, this series is previewing the Bold Leadership Summit, which will include your session, your featured session, Harnessing Collective Will, uh, learning together, but not in the usual ways. So um, can you give us just a sneak peek about what participants will uh, get to take away from your session, um, some of the highlights from it, uh, just a little tease as to how great that session is gonna be. Well, not that we have everything ironed out. <laughs> I understand if we're fully. Going to, if we're gonna try to learn together, but not in the usual ways, we're gonna to have to figure out how to do that in our session. So that's my tease. It's your tease. <laughs> that's a good one. <laughs> yeah, so I just wanted to, first of all, thank you guys for, for, for telling us your story. Like that's a big piece of this is you guys have are modeling what it takes to learn collectively, right? And some of the challenges al along the way, as well as things to be mindful of. Like as I, as, you were as I was listening to you discuss your story, I was thinking they're doing a really good job of balancing sort of this emphasis on pedagogy as well as emphasis on content. So it wasn't like you were saying, we're gonna spend all this time on content or all, like it's, it's, it's a balance of it. So these are all of the things that we're going to learn more about when we're at the Bold Leadership Summit. So thank you guys just for, for joining us today and we really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having us. I forgot to tell you the punchline. Can I tell you the punchline? Yep. She yes. gave birth that day. She gave oh. birth after school <laughs> that day. It was, she got jazzed up on math and then had her daughter, so. She didn't go into like that would, uh... labor that day, did like yeah. at school? After. Or after. After school. After school, okay. So, you know, coaching, it's, it can move things along. Um, I, I'm super <laughs> excited about this um, session and we will be figuring it out between now and then. It's everything is different this year, which gives us a chance to think about um, how do we, how do we go about learning together in a virtual summit? So we will continue. I, I, I'm mostly agreed to do this session, so I would get lots of chances to talk to Elham because I learn something every time. So <laughs> I'm excited. So <laughs> oh, it'll be fun to have you as well. Grand experiment. Thank you for having us here. It was fun to chat with you all. Thank all you, right. ladies. Dear NCSM podcast listeners, we have a special promotion starting February 11th that runs to May 10th, 2021. Use the promotion podcast when you join or renew your NCSM membership at mathedleadership.org. There are many benefits to being a member with the first being that you are a member of the premier mathematics leadership organization with access to resources and support as you work towards equitable instruction and improve student learning for all. You also have access to the newest monthly event, Networking Nights with NCSM, as we gather across the continent to discuss hot topics and learn from each other. Don't miss out on the opportunity to join or renew your NCSM membership now using the promo code podcast now till May 10th, 2021. We hope you have been inspired by this bold mathematics leadership conversation and will tune into our podcast series each month. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with others, post about it on social media or leave a rating and a review. You can learn more about NCSM leadership in mathematics education and our upcoming professional learning events on the NCSM website at mathedleadership.org. You can also follow NCSM on Twitter at mathedleaders using the hashtag NCSMBold. Thanks again.